A quick note before we start this episode. Since recording, Belarus has flown a number of the migrants you'll hear about back to Iraq, and others have been moved away from a border camp. So this marks a slight de-escalation in the crisis. You'll find more on this over on thejournal.ie. Welcome to thejournal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. Now, regular listeners will have noticed a different voice this week. This isn't Sinead O'Carroll. She's on maternity leave. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and I'll be filling in for Sinead over the coming months, along with my colleague, Gronje Nye. This week, what is the standoff at the Belarus-Poland border about? How thousands of men, women and children are trapped in a sort of no man's land between Belarus and Poland. They're without access to food, water or shelter and living in freezing conditions. Polish forces won't let them cross the border into the country and Belarusian forces refuse to let them leave the area. And the man behind all of this is Alexander Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, who secured a sixth term in office last year in a result that's disputed by the opposition parties and by the West. Now, we spoke previously in the podcast about the situation that followed in Belarus. There was a crackdown on protests in the aftermath of the election that saw more than 35,000 people arrested. And then in May, a Ryanair flight was diverted to Belarus's capital, Minsk, so authorities could arrest a journalist who was on board. Strong sanctions followed from the EU, and Lukashenko's response was to vow he would no longer abide by an agreement to stem illegal migration. He said these EU sanctions were depriving his government of the funds needed to manage the flow of migrants from his country into EU member states. And now Lukashenko is being accused of using migrants as pawns in a retaliatory attack against the European Union. To talk us through it all, I'm joined by Professor of Politics at DCU, Dunica Obakon. Dunica, we've covered issues in Belarus on the podcast before, but just to refresh people's memories, can you tell us a bit about what it's like as a country? Absolutely. It's it's a beautiful country. Um, often in the media, Belarus is mentioned for only negative reasons. And uh, that's a pity because it obscures a lot of the pleasant realities of, of the country. It's, it's, as I said, beautiful with lots of very nice scenery. It's very flat, um, which is one of the reasons why it's been a, a traditional route for invasions, usually towards Russia over the years. Its people are quite diverse. Um, they, there's a quite a strong east-west divide. Those who are in the west tend to be, you know, more Belarusian-speaking, also likely to speak uh, some Polish because, of course, they were in Poland before World War II. Those who are further to the east are more likely to be uh, watching Russian television, Russian-speaking, more pro-Russian. But that's a very that's a, a generalization. I mean, it's a, it is quite a, a heterogeneous people in terms of outlooks, and uh, and that's not often captured in the media. And indeed, some of the media reporting you know, doesn't capture the nuances in, in a manner, I think, that many people in Belarus would like, because when we hear the reports, we hear things like, you know, Belarus is launching a hybrid attack on the European Union, or Belarus is pushing back migrants. And and that's not an accurate portrayal of what's happening, because at the end of the day, we are talking about one man. We're talking about Alexander Lukashenko, who is uh, the, the current leader of Belarus, indeed has been for 28 years. It's not Belarus which is pushing back migrants. It's, it's Alexander Lukashenko's regime. It's not Belarus who's trying to confront uh, the European Union. Many people in Belarus uh, have very uh, warm affection towards uh, the European Union and Europe, Europe generally and consider themselves an integral part of it. It's Alexander Lukashenko that we're talking about. So it's important to emphasize that and that they've had a very difficult 
uh, 20 or 30 years. I mean, since independence, like many other parts of the former Soviet Union, uh, they had to endure multiple transitions 30 years ago from, from a dictatorship to democracy and now back to dictatorship again, from, from arbitrary rule to rule of law, from uh, communism to capitalism, all these things simultaneously. So it's been a very difficult uh, couple of decades and, and the challenges still remain, as we've seen in the news at the moment. You were talking there about this, there being one man behind this, uh, rather than this being necessarily the people of Belarus uh, who are causing uh, and orchestrating this migrant crisis. So what can you tell us about Lukashenko? What kind of leader is he? Well, um, he is quite eccentric when you talk about him in terms of characteristics. Uh, he's charismatic in a peculiar type of way, uh, unpredictable. He's now 67 years of age. He would portray himself as kind of a man of the people. His job in Soviet times was a, a Holkos director or a kind of a collective farm. So he, he kind of asserts that he's a great knowledge of the, the, the working man and the man in the, the countryside. Actually, he, he likes to you know, talk of himself as Batka, which is the, the word for father. He sees himself as a father figure for Belarusians. And of course, he's been almost 30 years in power. So for many people in Belarus of a certain generation, they've never known any political leader other than Alexander Lukashenko. Um, he doesn't show any signs of, of going anywhere. Um, he certainly has a very low tolerance for opposition, for minorities. He's quite misogynistic. He's certainly homophobic. When he was taunted with being the last dictator in Europe, uh, for example, he said that it was better to be a dictator than gay. And that's kind of a characteristic comment that he would make. He tends to provoke. Um, he tends to be sometimes irrational. And of course, some people argue that he wouldn't be so bold and so confrontational had he not the support uh, of, of, of Russia, which, of course, has been a traditional ally of the Lukashenko regime for some years. And people here in Ireland will have been looking at the images of of people. And, you know, this is including quite a number of children who are on the border who seem to be in a really dire situation. That situation now, is there a simple answer to why it is happening? Yes. I mean, essentially, this is a man-made crisis. And the man who has made it is Alexander Lukashenko. He has orchestrated this crisis. Uh, it seems to exact revenge on the European Union. He, To be fair, he made his uh, intentions plain back in May and June, where he said that he would uh, essentially um, encourage uh, migrants to travel. He would no longer be a buffer. He said he would no longer be stopping them. But that suggested that people were coming to, to uh, Belarus anyway, that this was a traditional migrant route and he would now stop them from traveling onto the European Union. But he went much further and essentially the regime there has facilitated uh, people traveling uh, from uh, the Middle East in particular, particularly Iraq and in particular the autonomous region of Kurdistan within Iraq. Uh, people were essentially allowed to travel to Belarus uh, as tourists ostensibly on tourist visas and then uh, were facilitated to come to the border. And the word spread around very quickly that this would be an easy way to get to the European Union. And uh, the crisis first broke, of course, in, in June, uh, when it was the Lithuanians who, who bore the brunt of it. And now, of course, it's on, on the Polish border. So in a nutshell, yes, there's no mystery about what's happening here. Lukashenko is, in an effort, it seems, to exert leverage on the European Union, is following through with the threat that he made back in May, June, when the EU were talking about sanctions, that he would uh, facilitate migration from Belarus to uh, the European Union. And I mean, is it really just a kind of a sinister revenge plot from Lukashenko or is there anything else that he stands to gain from doing this? I think he'd like to get back to the negotiating table. He's tired of being a pariah. He wants now to be treated as a partner. I think that's that's in large part. 
One might argue that it seems uh, irrational to be poking the eye of the European Union considering the asymmetrical power dynamic at play. But again, that's where Russia would come into it because as a powerful backer, it seems that Lukashenko feels more emboldened. But it is a, it is a divergence from his previous practice in some respects, his actions during the last year. He had been primarily aiming his aggression at his own people. Um, but now he seems to be lashing out at the European Union in a way that is, again, uh, deviating from his previous practices. And what are the conditions like for the migrants who are trying to cross onto the border? It's a major humanitarian crisis and it's it's only likely to get worse. I mean, you have now thousands of borders who are stuck in the border region, unable to return uh, to Minsk or go forward because of the National uh, Guards uh, of Poland who are there. Some of them are trying to to go through the forests because a lot of the border, I mean, we see pictures, you know, from a very fortified border, but that's quite recently established. This is not the, the crossing points. They've been deliberately not brought to the crossing points, the, the legitimate crossing points. They've been brought more or less to unofficial places. And the forest is, is, is absolutely ginormous. Uh, it's huge. It's got bison. It's got bears, it's got wolves, and, and the temperatures are falling. And, and you have, I mean, the, the migrants are primarily uh, men, but, but you, do have a, you do have women and children there as well. There are reports already of nine deaths, and aid workers are predicting that more deaths will occur as, as the winter conditions progress. So, so the position is very, very poor. Uh, there's no question about that. And inter- international organizations don't have access to people on the ground, and, and that's also part of the problem. And what's happening for people when they get to the border then? Well, when they get to the border, they're met by um, the barbed wire and, and they're met by the, uh, the, the Polish forces on the other side. Um, now, Poland hasn't, hasn't allowed um, the European Border Agency to come to the area. So most of the footage that we often see is, is from the Belarusian side of the border. Um, so when you see like the migrant camps and things like that, uh, Lukashenko has been quite happy to allow the media to come to his side of the border because his narrative is, is that you have a, an inhumane you know, European Union who is uh, you know, impervious to the plight of these migrants and essentially is, is, is playing chicken with people's lives. Um, you know, he's taunting human rights organizations in the West to speak out about the crisis, which he himself, as I said, has engineered. Um, so it's, 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 it's a very dangerous plight right now. And as I said, it's only going to get worse with winter approaching. Yeah, and the people who are there, where are they coming from? What are the countries um, that, that we're seeing most people coming from? A wide variety of countries, um, some from Syria, some from Afghanistan, some from Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, other post-Soviet countries. But, but by far and away, the largest group, it seems, come from Iraq and in particular uh, Kurdistan, this autonomous region within Iraq. That seems to be in the region that has been most uh, affected by this. There were, at least until recently, four flights a week uh, between Iraq and, uh, and Minsk. And again, this wouldn't be a traditional route at all for people to be traveling. So, uh, and a lot of these were traveling on the Belarusian airline Belavia. So it seems again that it was orchestrated and and the word spread quite quickly that this would be an easy route to get into the European Union. I mean, there have been those accusations of the government encouraging migrants to travel to the country and then, you know, sort of encouraging them to the border. Have we seen actual proof that this is happening? And how much do we know about exactly how migrants are getting there? Well, I mean, this is certainly the view of the European Union, and indeed, this is what the Irish government have expressed as well in their statements on on the matter, that they believe that they have been uh, encouraged and facilitated by the easy access. Uh, and then when they have got to Belarus, they have been more or less, you know, shepherded to, to the border. So they, they say that they have enough evidence to satisfy themselves that this is what's occurring. Of course, 
for me and you who are a little bit further from the ground there, uh, we can only take them at their word on that. But certainly that's the consensus within the European Union. And those countries, of course, which are neighbouring Belarus, Lithuania, Poland, Latvia, they certainly believe that this is something that's been orchestrated uh, by the government, that this isn't an organic migration in any respect. This is not a traditional route, as I said. You know, because also it's important to stress that we're not talking about refugees in the classic sense of the word, because refugees tend to, to find refuge in the nearest country of refuge. And that's why, for example, Turkey uh, has been a, a, an area where there's been a lot of refugees, Italy and Greece, when they've tried to sometimes cross over as well, because it's the nearest point. But Belarus is not close to any uh, place uh, where people are fleeing from. So the fact that they get to Belarus as their first point of entry suggests that there's some kind of coordination between Belarus and these countries of origin. And you were mentioning earlier that we're not really seeing a huge amount from the Polish side of the border, but what has the Polish government's response been to this? Well, the Polish government says, I mean, they said to the United Nations Security Council last week that these people were treated as tourists in Belarus and, and they, could have, they could have approached an EU embassy if they'd wanted to apply for asylum through the recognised mechanisms and that what Belarus was doing now was trying to exact propaganda value from this humanitarian situation by saying that Poland was uh, not not aiding the migrants enough. But uh, the Polish government is blaming Belarus. Um, now, the Polish government, which is led by the Law and Order Party, Peace, uh, they have fueled a fear of foreigners over the years. Uh, and, and you know, seeing the footage of, of young men uh, trying to enter Poland has, has not played well with many people in Poland. Opinion polls suggest that there's you know, a large amount of support for the Polish government's stance uh, on the issue of protecting the border. However, there are many people who would be of a progressive disposition, especially those who are not in favor of the current government, who would worry about people dying, uh, who worry about the humanitarian aspects, and who believe that they are being deceived by Alexander Lukashenko. And, and some of those, um, you know, is, that's coming out a lot as well in, in certain media outlets in Poland, the, the stories which are heartbreaking, individual human stories of, of people being vulnerable. And, and there are volunteer medics as well who have traveled to the region and tried to get as close as possible to, to help. So, so Poland, you know, is, is divided on the issue, but there is a large amount of support, it has to be said, for the Polish government's stance on this. And the Polish government has, as I said, it's been quite adamant in its refusal to accept the European Union coming in and doing this for them. They, they have wanted to confront this crisis themselves. They're looking for solidarity from the European Union, but they're not actually in, inviting European Union agencies to come to the region. And we have been hearing a lot in recent days about and from the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. So what's Russia's place in all of this? Well, that's that's the really big question. Um, you know, the, the, the Russian-Belarusian uh, relationship and, and the relationship between Alexander Lukashenko and Vladimir Putin is in a way key to this, but at the same time, it's quite opaque. The question often comes up about does Russia have any connection with what's going on? Well, of course it does, but we, we, we they're not advertising what they're doing in the newspapers. I mean, Belarus is very dependent on Russia economically. Uh, Lukashenko had for many years adopted this policy of what was known as gas for kisses, where essentially he would get a lot of cheap gas from, from Russia and in response would, 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 would say lots of nice things about Russia uh, and the Kremlin. And, and indeed, in the 1990s, he put a, the idea out there of a common state, that Belarus and Russia would one day become a common state. Now, many people suspected that he said that because he thought he might be the leader of that common state because Boris Yeltsin was the president, but he, he's been quieter on that issue since Vladimir Putin came to power. But there's no question that uh, Russia is a, is a major player. And, you know, Lukashenko, he can only go so far uh, because he can't afford to isolate both the European Union and Russia. You might say that his relationship with Vladimir Putin has been touchy at, at times. He's an unpredictable actor, as I said, but he's a familiar face. 
And for Russia's perspective, from the Kremlin's perspective, they would see it as a very dangerous precedent were he to be dislodged by a democratic opposition because it would have, from their perspective, a dangerous demonstration effect that if people could see in Russia what was happening in Belarus, that an authoritarian leader was overthrown by mass protest, people in Russia might get ideas into their heads. So that even though they're not particularly fond uh, of Lukashenko in the Kremlin, they would be very wary of seeing him go because they wouldn't like uh, necessarily to deal with the alternatives. I mean, outside of Belarus, Lukashenko is only seen as a dictator. Uh, what kind of opinion do people in Belarus have? I mean, is he popular inside the country? Well, it's very hard to say with some degree of accuracy since there's no independent media really left in in Belarus and uh, independent opinion polling is also very hard to come by. But I think it's fair to say that when he came to power in 1994, when he replaced uh, Stanislav Shushkevich, uh, he he did have a lot of domestic popularity and retained that for some years because he adopted a, a neo-Soviet form of economy, which benefited a lot of people by you know creating a lot of artificial jobs and by having a lot of state sector employment and and subsidies and you know relatively generous. Uh, so, you know, pensions and social services, that kind of a package appealed to a lot of people who weren't looking really necessarily to to join Euro-Atlantic structures, who were actually quite happy, certainly the older generation with the, the Soviet times. So he kind of created that continuity for many people. Um, now, of course, there was always the iron hand working in parallel with that, uh, you know, state subsidized generosity, but it worked uh, in terms of uh, delivering a certain degree of support for him. Indeed, many have argued that for the first at least decade, he would have enjoyed perhaps majority support within Belarus, despite the fact that opinion polls, not opinion polls, but election results suggested he was getting 80% plus. He wasn't getting that much, but he would have been getting majority support. And then the suggestion is that in the last 10 years or so, uh, that support has waned greatly. And and again, it's only guesstimates that we, we, we hear of, but now he's support would be more likely to be around a quarter of the population. But he doesn't really need, as we've seen, majority support. He has the power ministries, as they're called, behind him, the army, the police, and the KGB, as they're still called. They never bothered to change the name of the secret services. As long as they stick with him, and they're very well supplied and resourced and paid, um, and the opposition are wedded to a strategy, which is, of course, very laudable, of peaceful protest, it's very hard to see how he can be dislodged internally. And Lukashenko at one point has hinted that he could cut off Europe's gas supplies. And obviously Putin was a part of that discussion. How likely is it that that could happen? What kind of an impact would that have? Well, Lukashenko would be very unlikely to do it without Russian permission. At the end of the day, it's, it's not Belarusian gas. It's, it's, it's Russian gas. Belarus gets transit fees. Uh, will will Belarus do it? Um, I, I, I would doubt it that they would turn off the gas. The EU are um, the best customers for Russia and uh, they would have to look elsewhere for supplies and that might in a way turn them to alternative energy supplies, uh, which would be in Russia's, not Russia's long-term interests, of course. I mean, Russia has a long history of using gas as a weapon. I mean, people in Ukraine have seen that in Moldova, in Georgia, um, but the European Union is somewhat different. Um, that said, um, there's news just coming in in the last 24 hours that Belarus stopped pumping oil through the Druzhba pipeline to Poland. Uh, now, officially, that's due to unplanned maintenance, uh, which is expected to take three days. But it, it, it may also be trying to up the ante uh, at this particular moment in time. And in terms of the situation on the border between Belarus and Poland and, you know, this amassing of, of migrants who are there, what's the EU's response been to this? And aside from sanctions, which they've already tried with Lukashenko, what can they do? 
Well, they've tried to engage with the countries of origins from where the migrants come, and they've had some successes there, in particular with Iraq, um, to stop people coming to more or less, you know, spread, you know, have an information campaign at the source saying that this idea of a swift passage to the European Union is a lie. Um, and that they, you know, buyers beware, essentially, don't go to Belarus. And they've then furthermore gone uh, after the airlines, um, so Belavia, for example, and, and that's also putting pressure on them. They now say that they're not going to be taking people from, from these uh, countries. Uh, other airlines have followed suit, saying that they will not be transporting passengers from particular countries uh, to Belarus. Uh, Turkish Airlines, for example, made uh, an announcement to that respect. So they, they have been trying to cut off the migration from its source. Uh, but that's, of course, then a separate issue from the current situation where you have up to 18,000, uh, according to, to some sources, uh, who, are, who are there and, and amassing uh, at the border. Uh, how, how to deal with those? I mean, again, you need a, a swift assessment of the asylum applications, if there are asylum applications to be made. And I think the, the EU's approach is, again, in harmony with Poland in that respect, is that those who meet the criteria for asylum, of course, should be, should be accepted. And there are various ways in which they can make asylum applications, including, of course, at EU embassies in, in Belarus. Or, and those who, who don't meet the criteria have no right to enter the European Union, as would normally be the case for any kind of uh, potential migrant. So the European Union has, has as you say, it has, it has focused a lot on sanctions, but they're punitive against the regime. They've been trying their best not to make it a, a sanction against Belarus as a country or a people because they so they're they're targeting individuals but you have to say that Lukashenko has weathered a lot of these storms in the past there's been almost a cyclical approach to sanctions over the years uh, where they've been you know enacted and then they found not to be worked and then people have said well look we're not getting anywhere with Lukashenko so we need to engage and that cycle of engagement and sanctions seems to be ongoing but that said we we this is an, an unprecedented crisis and and uh, the level of pressure that Lukashenko has been on during the last year has also from his perspective been unprecedented. And we have a clip here of European Council President Charles Michel calling for a strong EU response to the crisis. We are facing a brutal hybrid attack on our EU borders. Belarus is weaponizing migrants' distress in a cynical and shocking way. At our last European Council, we condemned and decided to respond to these attacks. And we asked the Commission to propose all necessary measures in line with EU law and international obligations. We have opened the debate on the EU financing of physical border infrastructure, and this must be settled rapidly, because Polish and Baltic borders are EU borders, one for all and all for one. Donica, would you say that this crisis that we're seeing at the moment is unlike anything we've seen before in terms of migration? Uh, no, no. We, we, we. It's important to emphasize the scale here. Um, you know, we're talking about thousands of people on the the border between Poland and Belarus. But we've seen much bigger crises, migration crises, in the past. You only have to look at the millions. Uh, who have uh, sought refuge in, in Turkey, those who have tried to enter the European Union via Greece and Italy in much, much larger numbers. Uh, so it's important to stress that this is, uh, you know, even though for the individuals concerned, this is a, a huge tragedy and a humanitarian crisis. Um, it's, it's, it's on a smaller scale than what the EU has had to uh, face before. And, and also, it's, it's not, as I said before, a traditional route for migration. 
the millions of potential migrants who have tried to get to the European Union come usually via the Mediterranean or via Turkey. Belarus, the fact that Belarus is in the headlines is purely down to the fact that Lukashenko has advertised it as a potential route for a small amount of people, relatively speaking, from a certain part of the world, particularly Iraq uh, and in particularly Kurdistan. But if that as it seems is happening, if that valve is turned off, if that route is turned off, it's unlikely to develop into a longer term crisis where we're going to see Belarus as a major uh, migration route into the European Union. I think that this is the crisis and that's why I think every, every side is trying to settle it in a way that will set the precedent they want to set. The European Union doesn't want people to be opening up new routes arbitrarily for their own personal reasons. And, and um, you know, obviously, uh, Lukashenko at this stage is in a very delicate situation himself, because if the European Union does not accept the refugees or the migrants, rather, um, there's a question of what he will do with them himself. I mean, without asking you to, I suppose, predict the future too much, what are the likely next steps for Belarus and Poland here? I mean, do you think Lukashenko could further ramp up his actions? Yeah, it's 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 very difficult to say. I mean, like it's it's. Um, you know, the last year has been incredibly uh, unpredictable. I mean, Lukashenko has lost legitimacy uh, in Belarus as a result of the last uh, elections, but he seems determined to cling on to power. And that makes him all the more potentially dangerous and unpredictable. Uh, he doesn't have an exit strategy by which he could retire peacefully uh, from politics. And uh, the opposition where they have won a moral battle for many people, they don't appear also to have a political strategy by which they can gain power. And, and then you have Russia in the background, you know, reluctant to intervene if it, you know, it doesn't necessarily want to intervene militarily, but it wouldn't, as I said, want the precedent to be established where an authoritarian ally would be dislodged by uh, a popular opposition. So it's, it's, it's very unpredictable. I mean, at the end of the day, we should remember that this is a man-made crisis and that the man responsible for it is Alexander Lukashenko, that he's cynically playing with people's lives exploiting their hopes and misery uh, for for personal gain and and that the migrants must be helped um but in terms of, of of how it will end it's difficult to say because you know there's been so many twists and turns in 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 this uh alexander lukashenko as i said is a veteran he's been there for 28 years and uh, he's weathered many storms so there, there are all sorts of variables uh and none of them are are necessarily more cogent than the others um but I think the thing that has to be stressed now is is the situation of the people there on the ground because the winter, as I said, is coming, um, and and what we're having is a game of chicken with people's lives. Uh, people people are are suffering. They're 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 they, they may die, and and uh, there's no obvious uh, mechanism that's 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 there at the moment that's that's alleviating that. And um, it's it, so therefore I don't I don't see how it is going to be resolved. Certainly, nothing has worked up until now. Yeah, as you say, it's a really volatile situation at the moment. And I'm sure the European leaders you were talking about will be continuing to watch that situation on tender hooks. And we will as well. Thanks so much for joining me to talk about it today, Donica. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. And thanks again to Donica for joining me today. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber, or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.